right, we're coming to the close, really, of what I want to do uh, in the book. I've been trying to give a basic uh, overview of uh, the message. We've seen many of the key themes uh, that are developed uh, in this most important book already. Uh, as we bring this to a close, I do want to look just a little bit here at these uh, instructive chapters concerning the call of Moses, some of the uh, first promises, instructions that God gives to Moses uh, as he begins this career as the great leader uh, of the people of God. Uh, so returning here then uh, this morning to chapter 3, this is the uh, famous burning bush uh, passage that obviously is not without significance for us, seeing that we've taken the burning bush as the emblem uh, of the free church and indeed a good emblem uh, it is of the presence of God, power of God, the sovereignty of God uh, over his people. So let's take a look at this here, make a few comments, and then we'll try to draw some broad lessons concerning uh, this call of God uh, to Moses. Moses kept the flock uh, of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the backside of the desert came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb, and the angel of the Lord appeared unto him uh, in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside, see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush, said, Moses, Moses. He said, Here am I. He said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place wherein whereon thou standest is holy ground. And the Lord then identifies himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and in the next few verses uh, sets before Moses the particular call uh, to be this deliverer, uh, this human deliverer, leader, uh, of the people of God out from the land of bondage. Now, I think we've addressed at least something of the uh, significance of this Christophany. Uh, I won't remind you or rehash everything that we have uh, addressed concerning that, but notice at verse 2, uh, we have the angel of the Lord appearing unto Moses. The angel of the Lord is one of those and perhaps I need to say, indeed, the most significant of all of the Old Testament Christophanies. I think we've defined a Christophany as being that pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. There were various instances uh, at times of crisis uh, when the Lord Jesus, in his pre-incarnate uh, existence, uh, appeared on earth to people uh, in human form. And the angel of the Lord here, as we see him appearing in other instances, in other contexts, uh, go back to Genesis where we have the first manifestations of the angel to Hagar and then to, uh, and then to Abraham, was a visible human appearance. All right? It was not something uh, all shiny and glowy. Uh, it was not something that was mysterious. It appeared, the angel appeared in human form, uh, appearing as a man. Uh, the 
important thing to realize, obviously, is this was not a man. It was in the appearance of a man. Uh, Christ here assumed human appearance, but not human nature. Uh, the human nature was not assumed by Christ until the incarnation. That's why we refer to these as pre-incarnate uh, appearances uh, of the Lord Jesus. Uh, so, giving the appearance of a man in human form, but without human nature. Uh, it's important to keep that uh, in mind. But certainly, every one of these Christophanies uh, was a foretaste, and it was a token uh, of the coming of the Incarnation. Uh, at times of crisis, when the people of God needed a word of encouragement, a, a word of instruction, a word of guidance, uh, very often this angel uh, would appear. Uh, unto them. These were uh, momentary, they were uh, repetitive, uh, but I say significant manifestations of the person of Christ uh, himself. Uh, in all of the Christophanies, uh, I think we could identify in terms of the angel of the Lord, although that particular expression may not occur uh, in each of these instances. Uh, Perhaps that one of the difficulties for us is how we tend to interpret the word angel, I suppose. Uh, we have this perverted view that you get from souvenir shops uh, of little cherub-like creatures with wings fluttering around pretty little girls. Uh, it's not the idea. All right? That is not, not the idea whatsoever. I don't want to get into angelology uh, at this point, and I know we tend to call our uh, our, our wives, oh my, what a little angel you are, and our little cute little children. Uh, but you understand angels in the scripture were always masculine. All right? There's no such thing as a feminine angel. Uh, but I'm not going to go there right now. Yes? You've been to souvenir shops? What? <laughs> Paul, Paul, got a question here. Here it comes. That's well. It's, it's, we're dealing with New Testament, so we're dealing with Greek versus Hebrew, and uh, obviously, in that context, it can't be talking about uh, what we're seeing here. Uh, the, the very fact that we're saying this is a pre-incarnate appearance, there can be no after the incarnation. This became an impossibility. All right, the appearance of this angel of the Lord, the messenger uh, who is the Lord, became an impossibility after the Incarnation. Uh, at the Incarnation, Christ took to Himself human nature, and from that point until uh, everlasting, uh, He will be in two natures, uh, God and man. So, yeah, that's, that's a different... Uh, that would be one of the angels from God. All right? That would be one of the angels from God, certainly, uh, but not to be understood in this, in this light. In the Old Testament, this becomes really a technical expression, and I say that... Uh, to, to indicate that it refers very specifically and very uniquely uh, to this one particular uh, individual. Uh, and that would not be the case with the language that we see uh, in the New Testament because obviously at that time Christ had come in the flesh. Uh, but the word angel here, I say, is actually the word messenger. All right? It is the messenger uh, of Jehovah. And I would interpret that to be uh, the, the word Lord, and you can see how it's spelled here, all capitals. And we'll talk more about this uh, particular designation of the Lord in a few moments as we come to verse 14. Uh, but that's Jehovah. And I would take that as an appositional statement, defining, identifying specifically who that angel is. It is the messenger who is Jehovah. The messenger who is Jehovah. 
Uh, and it's a remarkable study to go through your Old Testament uh, and see how often this messenger uh, speaks uh, as Jehovah in the first person. But then uh, Jehovah will speak to this angel as a distinct person, and this angel will speak to Jehovah as a distinct person. It brings us to the very uh, essence and the heart of this Trinitarian relationship that exists between God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So it is a remarkable, uh, remarkable uh, revelation uh, that God gives to, that Christ gives here uh, to his people. You'll find it to be a foretaste when you look at all of the ministry uh, of the Spirit, or, or of the angel of the Lord, rather. Uh, we're, we're going to see a foretaste of every aspect of the mediatorial work of Christ. Uh, times when he appears here as the prophet with this word uh, from the Lord to the people. Uh, we're going to see him as the priest, as he engages in intercession uh, for his people. Uh, and we're going to see him certainly uh, as the king, as he leads and as he protects and does that kingly, uh, th th those kingly functions in behalf uh, of his people. Uh, a very remarkable uh, manifestation. Now, I'm saying that particularly uh, to uh, make clear here that the angel of the Lord always, as a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ, had a human form. I think we sometimes get the uh, the wrong impression here of the burning bush, right? That here is this bush, it is burning with fire, and this somehow just mysteriously the, this flame and this flame representing the angel of the Lord. That is not true. Uh, the flame there, and this was a miraculous manifestation. Uh, it was obviously something that caught, uh, that caught uh, the attention of Moses as he saw this and turned aside to see this remarkable... Uh, phenomenal occurrence of this bush burning without being consumed. Uh, but the angel of the Lord was not the flames. All right? The angel of the Lord was there in the midst of the bush. Uh, the angel of the Lord was there in the midst of the uh, flames that were uh, miraculously uh, manifesting. Uh, the uh, miraculous, certainly, as far as Moses was concerned, but I, I say just keep that uh, in mind. Uh, and so from this bush, uh, the Lord uh, identifies himself. And you can see how, and here's a good illustration, evidence uh, of who this angel is. Uh, here is the angel speaking to Moses. And how does the angel identify himself to Moses? I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Uh, and Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Uh, so there was understanding. Uh, there was uh, a clear comprehension on Moses' part as to who this was uh, that was addressing him from the burning bush. It wasn't the burning bush, I say, that was speaking to Moses. It was from the burning bush that the angel of the Lord was there giving this communication uh, to Moses, calling him into this, uh, into this unique responsibility that God had, uh, had established and purposed uh, for him. But I say here is good evidence of the deity, uh, the absolute deity of this uh, pre-incarnate appearance uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I say I would recommend sometime that you just take a survey through your Bible, Old Testament, and see the number of times this angel appears. Uh, and uh, it will give us uh, a very significant uh, illustration, token foretaste, if you will, of what the ultimate ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ is uh, in behalf of his people. All right, so here is this 
phenomenal scene uh, there at the mountain of God, the mountain of Horeb. So I say in verses 7 through 10, uh, the Lord calls Moses, gives Moses the instructions as to what he is going to uh, be doing. I'm going to send him down, cause him to stand before Pharaoh, uh, and bring forth the children of Israel uh, out of the land of Egypt. So here is the call, a very clear call, a very clear instruction that God uh, gives to Moses. Moses has no misgivings as to who it is that is giving this call, uh, but Moses draws back, uh, and we're going to see some very human things here uh, about Moses. I think we sometimes come to these uh, Bible characters, and we elevate them to uh, positions of the ideal, and as we look at their lives and consider uh, the exploits, what they accomplish for the Lord, we put ourselves in such a position that, well, that's great, but you know, I, I'm not Moses. Well, you're not Moses, uh, and nobody ever will be Moses. Uh, again, at least this Moses, obviously. I guess you could call your kid Moses if you want. There's some strange names for kids out there anymore, but call your kid Moses if you like. Uh, but they'll not be this Moses. Again, obviously. He was unique, uh, as all of us are unique. God has made us each one. Uh, but Moses, I say, had his limitations, and he had his weaknesses. Uh, and I think we can well be instructed uh, from that and take encouragement uh, that uh, as the Lord makes us as we are and calls us to do what he has called us each one to do, uh, he will provide for us the means and the wherewithal uh, to fulfill uh, that particular responsibility. But I'm impressed here, and I think we've gone through this before, so I'm just going to be suggestive this morning. Uh, as we go through this call that God gives to Moses, uh, the Lord gives the word, and Moses shies away. Uh, he backs away from uh, the call that God has given. He has his excuses, uh, and one excuse after another uh, that he raises before the Lord as to why he is not the one that can do this particular job. And every time the Lord uh, will answer that excuse with Moses, uh, with a word of promise. And that's what I want to do here for a few moments. Look at the various excuses uh, that Moses offers and then uh, the word of encouragement, the word of instruction, the answer that God gives to that, uh, to that particular issue. Now, at verse 11, we see uh, Moses' sense of inadequacy. All right? Moses feels inadequate. Here is this magnificent uh, job, this extremely uh, important uh, 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 job here, as it were, that God has for Moses to do. And Moses feels absolutely inadequate. As he looks at himself, uh, he feels inadequate uh, to deal with that responsibility. So we see it at verse 11, And Moses then said unto God, Who am I, that I should go unto Pharaoh, that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? So the job was clear. But he realizes here, and he feels his own insignificance. He feels that he is inadequate for the task. And he asked this question, who am I? Uh, who am I? Uh, stressing, I think, his understanding and his sense of the inequity uh, between himself and the mission uh, that God had just given to him. The task was so immense, the task was so large, so far-reaching, uh, and he felt to be so uh, inadequate. Recognition here that he had no 
uh, inherent ability. Uh, who am I uh, that can deal with this particular, uh, this particular task? Uh, there was some self-distrust here. Uh, and, and I think we need to uh, acknowledge that there is a sense in which that self-distrust uh, is a good thing. Uh, the fact that Moses here recognizes his own inability and his own inadequacy to do what God has called him to do uh, was a good thing. Now, the problem is that Moses saw that as disqualifying him for this particular function, when in reality he was expressing his primary qualification. Uh, we know from the uh, words of the Apostle Paul, always think of that here, uh, in 1 Corinthians, who is it that God chooses to accomplish His purpose? Uh, those things that are nothing, those things that are small, those things that are weak, those things that are uh, so insignificant as far as the world's perception is concerned, God chooses those uh, that He might bring to naught all of those things that are. And what is the ultimate purpose for that? Uh, to the end that no flesh should glory in His presence. That all glory and all honor uh, be given unto the Lord. So the recognition uh, of self-insignificance uh, and self-inadequacy and self-distrust uh, is in many ways a significant qualification that we are to have uh, for the ministry, whatever uh, it is that God has called us to do. Uh, that lack of self-reliance is good. But here's the fine line. Right, here's the fine line. Uh, between that lack of self-reliance, which is good, and the lack of faith uh, that is sin. And we will sometimes uh, rest so uh, in our self-inabilities uh, that we will shrink back, will be paralyzed, uh, and not uh, engage ourselves then in the call that God has given to us uh, to perform. Uh, so easy to be intimidated. Uh, as we think of our insignificance and the gravity of the ministry that is out there, uh, we shy away uh, from fulfilling what the Lord would have us to do. So let's see ourselves as nothing. Let's see ourselves here as Moses saw himself, as uh, without ability, without uh, the qualifications. But let us not be paralyzed as uh, we uh, will come to learn as Moses came to learn. Uh, the importance of depending upon God. All right, so that was his excuse. I'm inadequate. Well, what was the Lord's answer? The Lord's answer here was his presence. Uh, the divine presence is always the answer to our inadequacy. Look what the Lord says at verse 12. And he said, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. The Lord gave Moses the absolute promise of his presence. Yes, you're nothing. And the Lord was not arguing with him here. The Lord did not come to Moses and say, no, Moses, you've got this ability. That's why I called you. I know that you can do this. That's why I called you. The Lord did not in any way argue with Moses, try to pat him on his back and convince him of all of his self-worth. No, Moses was right. Moses was right, but 
the answer was not in cultivating any particular characteristic or any particular virtue or any particular talent that he may have had. The Lord didn't say, get there in front of a, a mirror and practice your sermons five times before you preach and, and get good at this and then you'll go to Pharaoh. No, the Lord says, you're right, you're nobody, uh, but not to worry because I'll be with you. All right? It is the presence of God not cultivating our skills, not cultivating uh, whatever weaknesses we have and trying to bolster them up before we... Uh, engage ourselves in the ministry that God has called for us, but it is the resting and the depending and the reliance upon the presence of God. And the Lord is telling Moses here not to worry, I'm going to be with you. Uh, you're nobody, but not to worry, I am somebody. Uh, and I will be with you and my presence will be there uh, all along the way. Here is the great, if we can speak in these terms, I, I like to uh, look at it from this concept often. I, I see this as the great Emmanuel. Uh, concept. Uh, that term Emmanuel that we know from Isaiah uh, in, in terms of the naming of the virgin born one, uh, Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, but that, uh, that concept of God with us, Emmanuel, that particular term only occurs there in that Isaiah context. Uh, and then as Matthew quotes that in the New Testament. So it's not a very commonly used word. Uh, phrase in the Old Testament, but the truth of it and the theology and the proposition of that uh, is right from Genesis right on uh, through the entirety of the Bible, uh, that God's promise is to be with his people. Emmanuel, God with us, God with you, God with me, uh, is an unceasing truth. And the Lord brings this to light upon Moses. Uh, it's the same promise that was given to the patriarchs. You read in Genesis at least 14, 15 times. Uh, God told Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as they were going through this crisis and this danger, not to worry, I am here with you. Uh, and the Lord now promises uh, his presence to Moses. Uh, and the Lord kept that word. Uh, the Lord kept that word. Uh, it doesn't say it's going to be an easy way to go. It doesn't say there's not going to be risk, there's not going to be danger and difficulty, but I, I'm going to be with you. And you look at the life of Moses and the ministry of Moses, and over and over again there is the testament. Read through this book of Exodus and see it, uh, and, and you'll see how often the Lord is reminding Moses, and Moses is well aware of the fact that God is present there with him. Then Moses dies. Then Moses dies, remember, and now comes Joshua. Uh, and Joshua facing the same intimidation and the same concern uh, as to whether or not he can do what the Lord has called him to do. And God says, not to worry. What? Just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. And the presence of God with Moses was the standard uh, by which Joshua then was able to determine the faithfulness of God in being with him. Uh, this is the promise. Uh, no matter what your weakness, no matter what your limitations, you can rest assured uh, that I will be with you. It doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter what our weaknesses are. If we know the presence of God, uh, and certainly we do in the indwelling spirit of God that is the possession of every genuine and true believer, uh, that spirit of God that is ready and able to empower us to do what God calls us to do, uh, we can have that assurance. Uh, this was not something that was uniquely given to Moses. It's the promise that is given to all of God's people that he will not leave us, he will not forsake us. Uh, no matter where we are, no matter what we do, not only do we have His presence, but we have the promise of His power uh, to, fulfill, uh, to fulfill that uh, ministry, whatever it is. And the Lord then gives him the guaranteed success. 
guarantees the, my presence will guarantee success. And here's how you're going to know it. Uh, when you here's a token. Uh, that word token is a word sign. This is the sign uh, unto you that I have sent you. When thou brought has brought forth the people out of Egypt, you'll serve God upon this mountain. Moses, here you're doubting. Here you feel intimidated. Here you feel inadequate. But I'm telling you, I'm with you. And this is going to be the evidence. It's going to be the sign that I am with you. All of these people that I'm going to send you to get, you're going to come back right here and worship me here. And when you get back to this place and you worship God and you worship me at this place, then you just remember uh, this. Uh, I, I like to refer to this as the divine. I told you so that everything that I said was true. My presence has been with you and you're going to come. You're going to worship me here. And there will be the evidence. Uh, that I have led you uh, all the way. Success of the mission uh, in the will of God. Now, uh, this word sign, and I'll, I'll touch on this a little more in this context, but uh, let me just pause here for a moment, I guess. Uh, we're we're going to see uh, in chapter 4 uh, some other signs uh, that the Lord gives to Moses. Uh, and I'll address those in due course here. You know, there, there's the rod, becomes a snake, becomes a rod again. That was a sign. Uh, put your hand in your shirt, take it out. It's going to be leprous. Put it back in. It's not leprous. That was a sign. Right. Those were signs. Same word. Same word. But a little difference here. Uh, and, and the word sign, this word token, uh, has basically two uh, applications or senses that you want to be aware of. And, and if I, once I say this, I think that will help explain uh, what's going on, for instance, in the Isaiah 7 passage. Uh, the word sign can either be used to designate a present persuader, all right, something that is a present persuader of whatever, uh, usually of a miraculous nature of a supernatural nature. The Lord says, I'll give you a sign, and that sign was a present, something out of the ordinary, something extraordinary, uh, that was designed to, at that moment, convince the person uh, as to what they ought to do. Uh, here's your rod. Throw that rod down. Turns to a snake right there. That was an immediate, present persuader uh, that God was giving to Moses. That's one sense of the word. It is also used as a confirmation of something that has already happened, all right, of a statement that has already been made, uh, a future confirmation, either a present persuader or a future confirmation. Uh, and that's how the word is used uh, in this context. Uh, there was nothing miraculous that God was doing for Moses at this point, but he says this is going to be the sign that when you come back, you do, you do what I told you to do, and you come back to this place and you're going to worship me here with all of these people. And then you're going to think, yeah, this is the evidence. This is the confirmation that everything God said was true. Divine confirmation. That's why I call this the divine I told you so. Uh, that everything that I said is true. And therefore, you can trust me for everything that I say. Now, I, I don't want to digress here, but just plug that into the uh, Isaiah chapter 7 passage. One of the great... Uh, problems that people have sometimes with uh, that virgin birth passage. They say it, it doesn't see how it has, if that refers to Christ, then how does it fit uh, the context of uh, poor Ahaz? Remember what the Lord said. Prophet Isaiah said to Ahaz, you ask the Lord for a sign. Uh, you ask it in heaven, you ask it in earth, you, you, you name it and God will do it. 
and, and the Lord was offering him here a sign as that present persuader. I'll do something for you right now, miraculous, supernatural, to convince you and persuade you what you ought to do. And Ahaz rejects that. All right? Ahaz rejects that. Uh, I'm not going to ask the Lord. I'm not going to presume upon the Lord. To, and Ahaz rejects that sign, the present persuader. Therefore, Isaiah says, what? The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son. You'll call his name Emmanuel. Uh, and, and people come to that and say, how could that birth of Emmanuel, 700 years down the pike, how could that have any sign for Ahaz? How could that do Ahaz any good? And the point is that it wasn't supposed to. All right? Ahaz rejected his sign. But the Lord says, I will give you a sign uh, and to the nation now, not just to Ahaz. Here is this virgin birth. And when Christ came, I'm not going to go back to the entire context, but you look at it. talks there about the kings that Ahaz is afraid of. Uh, talks about uh, the, uh, the, the enemy there that is going to be dissolved and even his throne is going to be gone. And the Lord says, uh, that when Emmanuel comes, this will be the I told you so that all of this has happened. And indeed, when Christ came, uh, when Christ came and we have the birth uh, of the virgin, uh, with Emmanuel. Uh, where, where was Ahaz? Where was Syria? Where was all of these people? That It was the divine confirmation that every word of promise, every word of threat, every word of judgment uh, had, brought, had been brought uh, to accomplishment uh, at the certain word of God. So I just throw that out. Uh, keep that in mind here as we come to this token, as we come to this sign. But there was risk here. All right. The Lord was not going to give. Here, here's the element of faith that was required. There was a risk before Moses could see the sign. He had to take the risk. And there was a risk here. He had to go out on the simple word of God. Uh, and the Lord says, you do this, I'll show you. I'll confirm to you in due course that I have been with you. But there was a risk here. Uh, Moses had to obey God. He had to obey God on the basis of the word of God uh, and not what he could see. Uh, but only what he uh, would know to be uh, the fulfillment of God's word uh, in the future. It's a great lesson in faith here. Uh, in, in this last little series that we did, uh, in this last little series that we did in Exodus, where we looked at those various tests of faith, at that point we kept seeing the contrast between Israel's, the nations walking by sight, and Moses giving us the illustration of what it is to walk by faith, uh, in contrast to their sight walking. Well, Moses learned the lesson. Uh, but it's a lesson that he had to learn right from the get-go here. Uh, before he made his journey uh, into Egypt, and before he learned all that God wanted him to learn, there was the test of faith here. You, there's a risk involved in obeying God, not knowing, uh, not knowing all of the details. But you obey me, and on the basis of that word, I will show you. Uh, my presence uh, is constant with you, and this work is going to succeed. Uh, so the excuse then of personal inadequacy uh, was nothing uh, when put in the context of the unceasing presence of God. All right, then, in verse 13, uh, have another excuse that Moses offers. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I am come unto the children of Israel and say unto them, The God uh, of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am, hath sent me uh, unto you. 
think I can summarize Moses' excuse here at this uh, juncture uh, as being ignorance. As being ignorance. What am I going to say to these people? I'm going to go down there. These people are slaves in Egypt. And I'm going to go down there and say, follow me. Follow me. Just up and follow me. Throw down your tools and your whatever and just up and follow me. I don't think that's going to work. These people, if they have a lick of sense, are going to want to know by what authority I'm telling them to drop their uh, bricks and follow me. You know, again, we, can, we know the story and we know how all this worked out, but you've got to be realistic here. Right? You've got to be realistic here. How, how, when, when people come to us right, and tell us uh, to do something, right do you have to tell them? Who are you that I should follow you? Well, this is Moses has been gone out of this place for 40 years. Right? Uh, a whole bunch of people walking around and building bricks there and making these storehouses uh, that didn't have a clue as to who Moses was. And here comes this guy now, bearded, having kept sheep in the wilderness for 40 years, coming now, and who knows what he looked like, and he says, come on, guys, follow me. We'll show Pharaoh. Come on. Uh, they would have to be fairly idiotic. Uh, to just drop what they were doing and follow Moses, just because here's this guy from the desert saying, come on and follow me. So, uh, Moses, I, I, they're going to be wanting to know here by what authority I'm going to be telling them to come and follow me and drop, uh, drop their bricks. Uh, and I don't know what to say. I don't know what to tell them. He's confessing here, if you will, then his ignorance as to what word he is going to give these people. What shall I say? And Moses here was worried uh, about the people asking him a difficult question that he couldn't answer. Uh, I don't have a word for these people. And I know that I don't have within my own head here uh, what, what to say to these people. I'm ignorant. Well, the Lord says not to worry. I'll give you the word. So, yes. Well, you know, there, there's certainly that episode uh, that put Moses in exile uh, when he uh, sought to deliver these people by his own wherewithal, by his own, uh, by, by his own energies, by his own methodologies. And I dare say, I wouldn't be opposed to his putting a spiritual slant on it. All right, a lot of people do that, right? They go out on their own and then say, "God told me." Uh, and there, there was, uh, there was no response. I, I think that statement certainly may uh, be in, in the context here. I, I can't, you know, I don't want to read in. I never want to read in to what all of these guys were thinking, right? A lot, lot of preaching. Right? I, I don't want to get off on this right now. Uh, there's a lot of preaching that takes their text between the lines, right? Uh, and, and we try to wonder what the motive was of, of this and the motive was of that. I don't know, right? All I can do is, is take what's, what's there, and I'm taking from what's there, and at least at this point, Moses is saying, I'm ignorant here as to what to say. 
Was that generated by, mm, mm, mm? Uh, I don't know, maybe, but I don't think that's where my sermon's going to be, all right, uh, on the basis of what I speculate concerning why Moses, you know, why Moses said, and I, I've, I've heard sermons like that, uh, you know, who knows how many times when we take a little narrative and the whole, the, the whole development is now based upon why, you know, what were the motives, what were, why he, he did, and, you know, that, that's the part that's not there, but that's good. Uh, so I don't know. I can't speculate, right? I can't. It may have been, it may have been, but it, I'm just saying at this point, uh, he's. I don't want to tell these people. I don't want to tell these people. Uh, and even in, in that instance, I said there's been 40 years passed, and a lot of those people that knew Moses back in those days had died, and they'd long forgotten who Moses was. Basically, he's a stranger going back. He's going back as a stranger. Okay. All right. Uh, so, what what is the answer uh, to ignorance? Revelation. All right. Revelation. Uh, that's the answer to ignorance. Uh, the Lord says, "Not to worry. I'll tell you what you're going to say. I'm going to tell you what to say." And the Lord gives this divine self-revelation. I am that I am. And you just tell them that I am have sent me. Unto you. Here's the revelation of the person of God. I'm going to reveal myself. Now, the names of God, and we've touched on this uh, who knows how many times before. I emphasize that the names of God are self-revelations. This is one way that God revealed Himself to His people by His names, by His various titles. And at the heart of this revelation uh, was this Remarkable statement. You just tell them that I am. Has sent you. Now, my time is gone, and I'm going to stop, I think, right here, because if I start going on this, we'll be here longer than we need to be. Uh, I'll just say this in, in summary. What I want to do here, uh, I want to pause on this particular expression. This is the closest explanation that we have anywhere in the Old Testament concerning the name Jehovah. I would take this as the Lord's explanation of the significance of the name Jehovah. Now, I will try to be extremely clear here. I want to be clear that this is not the first revelation of the name Jehovah. Right? You go back to verse 2. It was the angel of Jehovah that appeared. I can go back to Genesis and multiply instances when it was Jehovah that spoke to the people. So the name Jehovah was well known to these people at this time. But we have in this statement God's explanation of the significance of that name that is extremely far-reaching. So I want to take some time uh, and consider this divine name Jehovah. Uh, the implications of it, what it teaches us about God, and then how it relates here to this uh, statement that he gives uh, to Moses to give then to the people uh, of God. So that'll be an important, uh, important little study because that will have bearing then upon every time you see the name Jehovah. This is what the authorized version puts in all capitals, right? When it puts the name Lord, the word Lord in all capitals this particular uh, name that we are considering. So it is 
of utmost importance. Okay, we'll call it quits here today. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we uh, do give our thanks for the Word of God, for the revelation that we have here. We uh, would ask that you would give us hearts to understand and believe and obey uh, that which is put before us. We pray, Lord, that as we look at this little uh, episode in the life of Moses, that we would uh, not seek to emulate Moses. don't want to be like Moses, but we do want to be like the God of Moses. We want to be like the Savior of Moses. Uh, so help us, Lord, to learn from this episode in his life how uh, even those of us that are so insignificant and weak and uh, without uh, natural abilities or talents uh, can rest and rely upon the Word of God, can rest and rely upon the promise of God and the presence of God uh, that we all can enjoy and all should be enjoying as the people of God. So instruct us, Lord, uh, through, this, uh, through this little study we committed into your hands. Now bless us as we leave uh, this Sunday school for the hour of worship. Pray, Lord, that from the beginning to the end there, there would be a sense of the presence uh, of our Lord with us. Meet with us, we ask in Jesus' name.